Good morning, Jacob Swell. Uh, it is wonderful to be here with you all this morning. Uh, Scott said, my name is Rich Lynn. Uh, I'm one of the elders here and part of the Hamilton Heights Town C CCG. Uh, that's the community care group where uh, the almost South Jersey people go. Uh, by the way, if, if anyone wants to have a vigorous debate on where North, Central, and South Jersey start and end, I would, I would lo I love that debate and I'd uh, be glad to have that with you. <clears throat> Since this is the first time I'm up here, I thought I'd share a little bit about my story. I was born in 1981 in Queens, New York. My parents immigrated here from Taiwan. Uh, they came here to pursue their graduate degrees in the late 70s. Uh, my dad had the decision to make whether to go uh, to San Francisco or New York City. Uh, and he picked New York City because he was terrified of earthquakes. He had experienced many in, in Taiwan, which is on the Pacific Rim, and he didn't want any part of that. So that's how he ended up uh, in this area. I spent the first four years of my life predominantly raised uh, by my grandmother, who was helping take care of me while my parents were getting established here in America. Towards the end of the four years, I spent about 10 months living in Taiwan with my grandparents before coming back to America. By that time, my parents had gotten settled. They bought a townhouse uh, in Hillsborough. It's about 20 minutes from here. Uh, I did look it up on Google Maps out of curiosity uh, last night. And since I was practically raised by my grandmother up until that time, uh, she didn't know English, uh, although I, she probably picked up a lot of it from the daytime soap operas that she would watch. I, I vaguely remember watching them with her. Uh, and I did not know a lick of English when I came back. I was young, but I remember being in preschool and that feeling of not being able to or having any idea how to communicate with anybody. I did, you know, I was young, so I picked the language up quickly. Uh, but throughout my childhood, it was apparent to me I was different. I looked different. The food we ate was different. Our values were different. The way we looked at the world was different. And as a kid, you just didn't want to be different. You wanted to be like everyone else and be accepted. So the difference became even more evident when my parents were invited to, and started attending a Chinese church in Princeton. Uh, they became Christians, and I grew up in the church, and I accepted Christ into my life when I was 13 and was baptized. Uh, outside the Chinese church, in my uh, small circle of Asian American Christian friends, I really didn't know many other people who believed in Jesus. I knew some, but uh, my Christian identity was mostly and closely tied with my Asian-American identity and the Chinese church. And it wasn't until college, I attended Rutgers, uh, just down the road. And my dorm is actually 18 minutes from here. I looked that up out of curiosity on Google Maps. Uh, and I began to meet followers of Jesus from all over the country and even the world, people from different ethnicities, backgrounds, and I was just amazed at how Jesus was able to draw them in and, and change people from all these different places and experiences. And uh, I think that, that, experience, uh, that experiencing that kind of diversity among believers is probably the same thing that drew me here to Jacob's Well uh, many years later. And uh, during the time at Rutgers, I was very involved with the campus ministry called Crew. 
And after graduating, I decided to intern with them, uh, with the student ministry for a year. And after that, decided to join staff full time. Uh, and it was during the six week, uh, we're all required to go through training time. It was about six weeks in the summer. This is 2005. Went to Colorado and uh, met my wife, Liz Ann, uh, who God had also called at that time to join staff. Uh, so without that decision for, for both of us and without God calling us, we, we never would have met. She's, uh, you say, not from around these parts. Uh, and uh, yeah, we, get, we dated, we got engaged, and got married within 11 months, which I realized is less time than the uh, coronavirus pandemic has been around. So uh, we ended up back here after we got married, worked with college students for, uh, here in New Jersey, for about two and a half years, and after our time in ministry, I decided to become an entrepreneur and start up my own business. And I did that for, I decided to do that for a couple of reasons, or for many reasons, but I'll give you a couple of them. One, I had an aversion uh, to the idea of corporate life. Uh, I, I felt that my dad had been uh, chewed out and spit, uh, chewed up and spit out by corporate life, and I didn't, I didn't really want to, to feel that and go through that. Uh, I didn't, also didn't like the idea of a company or people within uh, a power structure determining my value and what I was worth, and I felt like I wanted to determine that for myself. Ironically, though, uh, my desire to, for freedom from one thing, I ended up under the control of something else. Uh, I may not have had a boss or I may not have a corporation Tell me what to do or designating what I was worth, but what lorded over me instead was the all-consuming pressure that I put on myself to make it uh, or to be, become a success story. And this is true for a lot of business owners, and I know there's some of you out there and, and can, can attest to that. Uh, it, it was true for myself. This, this success, uh, something that you put so much stake in, so much personal uh, investment in, in money, time, effort, thought, and it, became, it becomes intricately entangled with everything in your life, and that included my identity in Christ. Uh, I knew that I was constantly looking at God through the lens of my success and whether I was doing well or, or not doing well, and, uh, and it wasn't like I was unaware of it either. Uh, it was like yeah, if you ever, as a kid, made uh, those plastic laced crafts, uh, with the ribbon, uh, plastic ribbon, and you, and you weave them together into uh, like a pattern. And you made it a lanyard or keychain or a necklace or something. I don't know. Is that familiar? Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I'm not the only one that did that. Um, and you, you see the distinct colors, uh, and they were interwoven, but uh, you, you can't pull them apart. And that's what it felt like. Um, and so at the beginning of last year, uh, my mobile entertainment business, we were firing on all cylinders. I had the right people in place. I'd expanded the operation in 2019, and I was ready. We were ready for a record year. In February last year, I was at a national conference. Our franchise awarded uh, me and my team as having the highest customer satisfaction rating in the country. Uh, we were really proud of that. I, I, we were going to celebrate. I had, um, we were planning on going to a Philadelphia 76ers game, the whole team, had the tickets and everything. And then March happened. 
And uh, just seeing years of investment and work and time, uh, everything just crumble the way that it did. Uh, through that, God began the hard, painful work of unwinding the different colors, the different ribbons of lace that had been intertwined together. He used it, used this past year to clearly and practically show me that he exists outside of my success or my failures. Uh, my identity in Christ stood alone and was not dependent on whether I could be used as a success story or not. So we're here. Uh, we survived. The future is looking, looking pretty good. It's looking brighter. Uh, and uh, many of you were very involved in, in this journey this past year uh, through prayer, through wise counsel, encouragement, financial help. And uh, Lizanne and I and, and our family, uh, we are deeply grateful for that. So thank you. Uh, this is a little peek into my story, uh, just a little part of it. If we, have, if we haven't had a chance to chat, uh, I'd love to hear yours and God's story in your life. I uh, hope we have the chance to, to do that real soon. Uh, let's pray uh, before we jump in to the Word. Lord, uh, encourage us this morning. As we hear from your word, we thank you that it's living and active. And uh, Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to listen. We pray in your son's name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. Or if you have your phones, you can, you can tap there. And uh, while, we, while you do that, I'll kind of give a quick... A review of, of what we've been covering the past couple of weeks. Uh, so far in our journey through the book of Hebrews, uh, we've seen a common theme of the author referring back to the Old Testament and drawing a comparison to Jesus to communicate to the readers and to us that Jesus is better than what has come before. Oh, hey, yeah. lit up. Now I can see people. Awesome. Uh, so in today's passage, uh, we have a bonus Two Old Testament figures mentioned, Abraham and Melchizedek. Uh, don't get too excited, though, because although this is the second mention of Melchizedek in Hebrews, uh, this is not his week. Uh, that's next week, and Scott will, will cover that for us. Thank you. Uh, for the, all the Bible scholars who are, who are geeking, about, uh, geeking out about studying Melchizedek, uh, sorry that I can't help you there today. Uh, and so... Last week, uh, Pastor Scott took us through a, a weighty passage in Hebrews. It was a critical warning about not being lazy in your faith, the dangers of drifting and not listening to God's voice and falling away. He gave us a picture of being tied uh, with a cord, and, um, and this cord connects us to Jesus and keeps us in the right path. He talked about the, also the encouragement in the passage and how on the other end of that rope, our Savior Jesus will never cut that end. And before, we, before our, our passage today in chapter 12, it leaves off with an exhortation. It says, uh, it exhorts us to be imitators of those who through faith and patient inherit the promises. 
So uh, I'm going to read, I'm going to read the, our 13 to 16, and you can follow along. Um, Uh, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. The author here is referring back to Genesis 22, verse 15 to 18 where God speaks this promise. Now, after Abraham obeys God in an unbelievable act of faith, and God gives this promise to Abraham for him and for his offspring and binds it by swearing an oath. So we're gonna, today we're going to take a look a little bit more into the promise. So uh, if, if, you're, if you're following along, I want you to go to Genesis 22, 15 to 18. We're going to kind of jump back and forth. So if you have some kind of bookmark uh, to kind of mark where Hebrews is and, and Genesis is, and mine just fell, I have a, a pencil for, for Genesis. Uh, we're going to look at, we're going to turn to Genesis 22. We're going to read this promise in full and just to get a, a, a deeper look on what this promise is. So Genesis 22, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, you'll notice uh, this promise for Abraham was the only time in the Bible where God swears. God made many promises to a lot of people, but only, this is the only one that he bound with an oath. Uh, so from our modern lens, where we are, uh, we, we kind of lost a little bit of the gravity of, of swearing and, and what it means to swear an oath. I remember growing up, uh, I would hear you know, kids and, and people around me, they would swear about all sorts of things. Uh, you know, this, oh, this weekend at my birthday party, Mike, man, he ate a lizard. I swear to God he did it. Uh, or so-and-so, uh, they're, they're together. I saw them. I saw them together, I swear. Uh, the swearing was it's usually always about something uh, frivolous. Uh, they knew no one, you know, uh, it was... Whether it was true or not, it was merely an outward way to communicate how truthful they were being or what, how truthful they wanted to appear. In our modern-day institutions, uh, leaders are sworn in. They, they swear to fulfill their duties, uh, the duties of the office that they hold. In court, we swear in the Bible. We, t we swear that we will tell the truth and nothing but the truth. And unfortunately, we have all seen times when this doesn't always work out as, as uh, we think or we plan. Now, swearing an oath in ancient times was much more serious and held more weight than it does today. 
An oath functioned, and as we see in, in verse 16 in Hebrews, an oath functioned as a way to affirm the truth, to put an end to all dispute, guaranteeing what was promised. So in order to provide a guarantee of something, uh, they, you don't swear on something or someone that is no value, of no value to you or to another person. Uh, and I think that part of, of swearing has carried over to our modern way of thinking. A swearer has to invoke something or someone that is vastly greater than and more important than themselves. And so that brings up the question, why does God need to swear here? You know, as the ultimate authority, the all-powerful God, why does he partake in this human custom? In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said it, will he not do it? Or has spoken, will he not fulfill it? So yeah, God doesn't need to swear, but he does in this case. So if we uh, jump back to verse 17 in in our passage in Hebrews, uh, the author goes into that. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. There it is. Uh, God is doubling up on himself. The unchangeable God who does not lie, who will do what he says, who is the highest authority, swears by himself. The God who does not lie, who is the highest authority, who will do what he says. And he does this to demonstrate his character to us and guarantee his promise. It may be a little redundant, but God does it anyway uh, as a way to show us without a doubt the finality of his word based on his unchangeable character. So my wife and I, uh, Lizanne, we, as I mentioned before, we met uh, and it, it was in Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, and we went out on our first date and we got ice cream. Uh, it, was, uh, it was Cold Stone, Cold Stone ice cream. And we were just walking around town. We were just chatting, getting to know each other. Came across a, a thrift store. And we decided to go in to, to browse around and, and just continue talking. And we came across a T-shirt that read on the front, said, Department of Redundancy Department. Yeah, department, I get it? Department of Redundancy Department. Okay. Uh, so we, we both thought that shirt was uh, absolutely hilarious. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, we're also a bit surprised that the other person found the shirt equally as, as funny. And uh, we fell in love from there. Uh, uh, years later, after we were married, Elizabeth actually tracked the shirt down. Uh, and she bought two of them, one for her and one for me. Now, I was going to bring the shirt for show and tell, but I failed. I left it in the dining room table, so I don't have it. But, um, you know, it, I still have it, and we, we have both of them somewhere. Uh, but, yeah, it's a, it's, a great, it's a great memento. So sometimes redundancy is good. In this case, with God's promise, it is very good. God uses it to drive home a point. A few significant things I want to point out about this promise before we move on. At first, this is not the first time God made this promise to Abraham that he would have many descendants. 
God had made his promise in some form to Abraham eight separate times in Genesis, and it was over a span of 25 years. And verse 15, jumping back to verse 15 in our passage today in Hebrews, actually the author says, and thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. So it was interesting. That's a very terse way of encapsulating 25 years. How many of you can wait 25 years for anything? I can't wait 25 years for a stoplight. Or I can't wait 25 seconds for a stoplight to turn green. It does feel like 25 years sometimes. Uh, Abraham was 75 years old when God first spoke to him and made this promise of having many descendants. Uh, at the time, it seemed physically impossible, in both because of their age and the fact that we were told Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren and unable to have children. Every year that ticked by must have felt more and more impossible. Every time God reiterated this promise to him, I'm sure it just took more and more faith to believe that it would come true. And so after waiting patiently for decades, a miracle does happen. They do have a son in their old age. And by the time we get to this point we were reading before in chapter 22, we see Abraham and God had, has already fulfilled that key part of his promise. They have a son, and God can continue to bring about all the other promises that he made to him. You know, he can now have descendants. He can become a great nation through Isaac. And uh, he would have a nation where all other nations will be blessed. And then this happens. Uh, if you get a chance, we're not going to read it today, but read this story about Abraham and Isaac. But um, in, in Genesis 22... I will read the first three verses uh, for you. And I want you to, to just look at just this interaction between God and Abraham. Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. And this is uh, leading up to this promise that we've been talking about today. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. It's at this point where we see Abraham's faith at its peak. He is willingly giving up the very promise that would lead to the fulfillment of all the other promises that God had made to him. A promise that God had already started to bring about miraculously was now asked to be forfeited. It made no sense. It was beyond reason. But as we see here, Abraham obeyed. Abraham's hope was no longer in the promise itself, or the outcome of the promise, but his hope was in the one who made that promise, God himself. And we, we can think about that. You know, how often do we stake our hope in the outcome of what God's promises should look like in our lives, when our hope should be staked in God himself, the one who made those promises? I'm going to say that again. How often do we stake our hope in the outcome of what God's promises should look like, when our hope should be staked in God himself. 
And jumping back, Hebrews 6 again, verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Here we see the, uh, the phrase, the heirs of the promise. So who, who are the heirs of the promise? Anybody? I heard us. I think I heard us. Us, that's the right answer. Uh, we, we're the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Galatians 3.29 says, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. If you, rem- if you remember... In verse 18, in Genesis 22, part of the promise that God spoke, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Who is God talking about here? How will all the nations of the earth be blessed? And it's a Sunday school answer, Jesus. God is talking about Jesus. All right, that is what the author of Hebrews is trying to say to the readers. The promise that Abraham waited patiently for, it wasn't just a promise and an oath sworn to Abraham. It was also for us. It was not just a promise about Abraham having a son or becoming a great nation. It was, it was about that, but also it was a promise that God was doing something more than that and was doing something greater. That through Abraham and through this promise, God would bring about Redemption for the world so that all, including those who would be spiritual descendants of Abraham, us, through Jesus, could have hope. In verse, no, or we're going to continue on here in verse 18 and 19, going back to Hebrews. It says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Uh, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Uh, I, I love this part I've read this multiple times, and, and I just I love the bold, the dynamic words used in these couple of verses. We have words like unchangeable, fled for refuge, strong encouragement, hold fast, a sure and steadfast anchor. Uh, this this metaphor that we see here of uh, our of our hope being a sure and steadfast anchor. I don't know too much about boats. I'm more of a wheels on the ground kind of person. Uh, but I do know that a boat needs a strong anchor to keep it from shipwrecking and storms and from drifting off in the ocean. One of my first and only experiences in the open ocean was with my dad. Uh, we decided, I was about 11 or 12, we we're going to go out uh, sea fishing with some friends from church. Uh, now, I've only ever looked at the ocean from the, from the shore, and I've always observed past where the waves are coming in and breaking. It was pretty flat, you know, it looked calm. And when I went out that day, uh, when we went out that day, the weather was just was beautiful. I just remember that clearly. But I also remember unexpectedly how much 
the boat was, was just heaving and swaying and rocking as we were going out into the ocean. I did not expect that at all. And we probably went about 45 minutes uh, to an hour out and until we couldn't see any land. And the captain picked his spot and threw out the, uh, put out the anchor. And that's, that's where we would, would fish for the day. And even after we stopped, the anchor was out. The boat was just still going up and down. The waves just looked huge. And uh, I probably fished for about 30 minutes before I got hopelessly seasick. And it was a full day trip. So I spent the next six hours in the cabin with one of my friends who was also hopelessly seasick. And we just lay on the bench. We're uh, rotating between sleeping and trying not to throw up. So with that one experience on a, a seafaring boat, I saw the value of a strong anchor in rough waters. And God knows we need a sure and steadfast anchor in rough waters to keep us from drifting, to keep us from shipwrecking. And it says here in this verse that for those who flee to God, who turn to him, we will have strong encouragement. In 2008, if you remember, uh, Barack Obama was running for president, and he had a lot of campaign slogans. But there's one I remember. There's only one word. Anybody remember what his slogan was? Change? Yes, that's definitely another one. I think it was hope and change at one point. And, and apparently, I, re- I looked this up, and he ch- like they had like 10 slogans that way they would just keep rotating. But the one I do remember was hope. Uh, if you remember, the poster had his picture, had the, the, the O symbol, and it had just one word, hope, on the bottom. Uh, it was good. It, it was simple. It was 2007 and 8, it was a crazy time. And it was an effective way of communicating to, to, to everyone, to voters, that there is hope coming. Uh, we have solutions, and, and, and have hope. Things will get better. The hope we are, are talking about today here is not that. Can it be that? Can it lead to better things and, and life getting better? Absolutely, it can. Uh, we serve a God that is for our good. He has the power and authority to do anything, he, we, and we can pray to him and ask earnestly for suffering to end, for justice to be done. We can pray for security, we can pray for health, and we can pray for healing. But those are all temporary hopes. They are not the sure and steadfast anchor that we're talking about here. They can come or they may not come. The sure and steadfast anchor of hope that God promises is in something more. Uh, It is a hope found in salvation through Jesus Christ. It's a heavenly, eternal hope from God who is unchangeable, who cannot lie, and who will come through, if not in this life, for reasons we do not understand, he will come through in the life to come. This is a sure and steadfast anchor that we need and we have in the dark storms, uh, the hardest trials, the deep suffering and the pain 
that many of you have gone through in this past year. Uh, and some of you are continuing to walk through the death of loved ones, broken relationships, health issues. This is the sure and steadfast anchor that we need and we have when we see hate and injustice in the world. This is the sure and steadfast anchor, also the same one that we need when the waters are calm and the day is beautiful and it's sunny out and things are good. The second half of that verse, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. It says, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And then verse 20, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. A few weeks ago, we talked about the role of the high priest uh, and, uh, and, the, and the inner place. Uh, the presence, was God, uh, presence of God was in the inner place, and the role of the high priest was once a year, he would go into the presence of God behind the curtain and he would offer the animal sacrifice on behalf of the people and this would cover the sins of the people. It says here that the hope we have, it leads to that place, uh, into God's presence uh, where Jesus has gone. So Jesus has literally opened this curtain or, or actually torn it in half so that we can have direct fellowship with God himself. And we have that right now. We have that also as a promise for eternity in heaven. The other picture here we see is Jesus as a forerunner. So someone who has run the path we are to take. He knows the way and he tells us this is the way. It wasn't only the Mandalorian, I believe Jesus said that first. Uh, Pastor Sky has been using a mountain climbing analogy. Now, I'm not a mountain climber either. I've gone a couple times, but uh, I'm no expert. But I'm going to run with that. Uh, and so the forerunner, uh, Jesus, is the also, we could say, he's the lead climber. Jesus has traversed the route we should take. He brings a rope with him that we will use and gives us direction of where the footholds are. He puts anchors in the rock, and I looked this up, uh, the, the main purpose of anchors that you put in a rock is to keep climbers that come after you from falling. He knows the difficulty of the climb as he has climbed it and experienced it. He also knows the view at the very top and that getting to the top is worth it. That is the hope that, we, that this verse is talking about. And that is a hope that is set before us. Uh, so let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, your word and your promises. I thank you that they are uh, true and you have bound them with an oath. You've shown us that uh, you, you will come through. And sometimes, Lord, I know it's, you know, it's been a tough year. 
Life is still full of challenges and struggles. And we turn to you and we look to you for strong encouragement. And you give us, you've given us and you will continue to give us hope uh, in our life and in, uh, in hope, hope in our salvation and that one day we will be in your presence. We thank you for your promises and Lord, we, we hold on to them. And we ask uh, you would encourage us daily through them. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.